You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Brian Brock with the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, joining you on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our Catholic Chicago radio programs that air throughout the week. Holy Name Cathedral Rector Father Greg Sakowitz and Catholic School Superintendent Dr. Jim Rigg began our broadcast week with our Catholic Schools Today program. They sat down with Shaka Rawls, Dr. Denise Spells, and Felicia Horton to talk about the annual African American Heritage Prayer Service. Father, you know that February is National African American Heritage Month. Yes. And we in the Archdiocese for 42 years have been celebrating an annual African American Heritage Prayer Service, which this year will be on Friday, February 28th at 9.30 a.m. There is a committee that does a lot of the planning for this event. Uh, and the committee is infusing this year's theme of Angels Among Us, which is our theme for the Catholic schools, uh, for the event. Uh, The event will center on the richness, diversity, and beauty of unity and the power of storytelling in the African-American population. And so we have here with us in studio uh, Felicia Horton, uh, who is a member of my staff, a marketing and enrollment uh, manager, actually the associate director of marketing and and enrollment. Um, and also a committee member. Hello, Felicia. Um, and then morning. we have uh, on the phone, I believe, Mr. Shaka Rawls, who is the principal of Leo High School. Good morning, Shaka. Good morning, Dr. Good morning, Shaka. And then we morning, may Father. or may not yet have Denise Spells, who is the principal of St. Ethel Rita. I know she was going to join, but was running a little late. Denise, are you with us yet? Not yet. Okay, then we will hopefully loop her in as we go. But why don't we start with you, Felicia? Tell us a little bit about the African American Heritage Prayer Service. Well, as you mentioned, Dr. Rigg, it's our 42nd year, and we hold the prayer service for our students to give them awareness of Black History Month and also give them a chance to get together um, and uh, uh, see each other and experience um, a heritage service such as this. Um, this year we have the presider is actually Bishop uh, Perry. Oh, Joe Perry, Bishop Perry. From Vicarious Six. He's also the USCCB chairman of the Subcommittee for African American Affairs. We have homilist Father Matthew Ironman from St. Malachi, Precious Blood Church. Wonderful priest. And then we also have Deacon Reverend Mr. Leroy Gill, Jr. from the Academy of St. Benedict the African in Chicago. Now, I know Felicia from past years when it was held at Holy Name Cathedral, but it's tough this year with the parking situation. That is at correct. At least for a couple more years. And that is being held at St. Rita, and people have to know that. This draws like over a thousand oh, yes. at this event. We're not talking a hundred people, hundred kids. Actually, we're talking well over a thousand. And actually, we're already at capacity, so we have twelve hundred students. There you go. Attending this year, a big chapel at Saint Rita High School. Big shrine chapel, yes, Saint yeah. Rita of Cassia High School, yes. Yeah, one of the things I love about Chicago is the richness of the African-American population here, which is very much alive and present within our Catholic Church. Uh, Ashaka, you are the principal of Leo High School, an all-boys, predominantly African-American high school on the south side of Chicago. Tell us, why is the African-American Heritage Service important? So for two reasons. One is that we get a chance to share our faith um, and our our love of the Holy Spirit with our community. And the second is other communities get a chance to experience um, 
parts that are parts of our culture that are important. So it's this kind of reciprocity where we're able to share as well as have others share in and, and our, our commonality, which is our, our Catholic religion. Let me ask you this, Shaka. Is your background you know, from Chicago? Are you born and raised Chicago? Not, not only am I from Chicago, I'm a proud graduate of Leo Catholic High School, and I have been attending this mass for over 30 years. No kidding. What class were you? 1993. Oh, you're young. Oh, oh you're. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my god, oh, Jim. This is incredible. Boys, I'm, I'm pretty old around here. I'm sure they consider you old, but I consider you rather rather young. I appreciate it. Well, I think uh, Shaka, you made a great point. So this service is of benefit not just to students uh, who are African-American, but to all people who come, Correct. because it gives them an exposure to the African-American population. So if, uh, if somebody was coming to this service who was not African-American, what would you want them to walk away with? So we're looking for just a, a renewed sense of faith, uh, some exposure to the African-American community, and also I, I would like for them to dispel the, the, the ideology that we're so different, right, that the community is different. We, 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 we actually eat the same foods, and we, we enjoy the same music. We, we pray to the same guy. So once we find those commonalities, it's, it's a lot easier for us to experience or see each other for who we really are, and that's human beings first. Well, and I believe we have Denise Spells now on the phone. She is the principal of St. Ethelreda, and Denise was actually honored at the service, I believe, a couple of years ago. There are some awards that are given out. Uh, Denise, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning, Denise. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Fine, thank you. And uh, you will have students going to the African-American service, Denise? Yes, I will. And I also have students who are singing. Oh, okay. In fact, let me share this with our listeners, and that is uh, I've been involved the last couple of years at the cathedral, and I'm telling you, it's a beautiful prayer service. The singing is fantastic. The cathedral was rocking. Yes. And, uh, I'm, yes, sure the, yes. I'm, I'm telling you, the cathedral we was rocking. Quite a few elements. Not only do we have a combined choir, and I'll let Denise speak to that um, to give a little bit more information. We also have praise dancers. Uh, Leo will provide a spoken word piece. We try to infuse the prayer service with performances from students from across the, the school system. A tremendous amount of work goes into this because yes. it's... Uh, you know, I thought it'd be sort of low key, goes a half hour, da 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 da. Oh, no. Man, was I wrong. It's about no. a two hour and a yes. half. Yes. And it goes fast, too. I mean, it it's is good, fast good music, hours. good worship. So, Denise, tell us a little bit about that choir. Uh, the choir will be composed of students from St. Philip Mary as well as St. Ethelreda under the leadership of Mr. Tyrone Pittman. Now, uh, Denise, let's go back to you for a bit. So uh, we've talked a little bit about the music. We've talked a little bit about the preaching, the spoken word. Uh, but there are some other things that happened during this event as well, including some awards. And you were an awards recipient a couple years ago. Uh, tell us a little bit about the awards that will be given out on the 28th. Awards will be given to a teacher or someone who is non-religious in the school who has shown dedication, leadership, going over and beyond the call of duty, a student who shows exemplary um, studies, habits, uh, all-around good person, and committed to his or her faith. And then we... Go ahead, Felicia, I'm sorry. Then we also have an award for clergy and non-clergy as well. Right. Let me... I'm shocked I have to ask you a question. Uh, you've been going to these prayer services for over 30 years. Uh, how have they touched your life over the years? So, so uh, uh, one of the problems with being in, uh, on the south side and one of the, uh, the few Catholic schools 
is that we're we are often kind of in isolation over here. So we feel like we're alone, not only in our faith, but alone in the work that we do. This mask gives us an opportunity to connect with schools from across the city who do the same thing that we do. So that really gives us a sense of community uh, and strengthens our faith. And how about now, for example, uh, Denise, how many times have you gone to this prayer service? I've been going since the mid-'80s. But I do have some background history that I'd like to share with you about how this all came into effect. Back in the late 70s, Bishop King, he wasn't a bishop, that was his name, Bishop, his first name, King, the last name. He was the assistant to the superintendent of Catholic schools for an office called Minority Affairs. He had a vision. Although we all celebrated within our own schools, in the African-American schools, Black History Month, he thought it would be great if we all came and celebrate together. So in February '78, under the coordination of Bishop King, the Office of Catholic Schools sponsored the first African Archdiocesan White Black History Week. The week's event included the Eucharistic celebration at the cathedral. There were competitions and drama, speech, science, and spelling hosted by different schools, and a citywide celebration at Medina Temple. That's a long time ago. And mm-hmm. at that time, wow. more than 70 predominantly black Catholic schools participated in the initial celebration of Black History Week. Well, the following year, it was expanded to Black History Month. Then the following years, there were competitions in art, music, and history were added. And for music, there was an event called Gospel Fest, where different school choirs would come out and sing in competition. And... Um, Probably in 79, we added a student recognition program. Where they added a student recognition program, that was the award for students who were outstanding in their school and for their academic achievements. And we had um, the Black Urban Child Conference. This was a three-day affair which addressed issues involving and providing quality education for Black urban youth. Following that conversation, Father Greg and Dr. Rigg welcome Catholic Schools Director of Continuous Improvement, Hetty Belkawi, along with St. Hilary School Principal, Kathy Donovan, to recognize the amazing things that St. Hilary first grade teacher, Tina Skookin, is doing in her classroom. We uh, are always looking to um, grow and expand and you know, do things differently in Catholic education, and uh, sometimes we receive recognition for our efforts. So recently, uh, an organization called Curriculum Associates named an inaugural class of 31 extraordinary educators, uh, which honors and connects exemplary teachers from schools nationwide. And one of these 31 uh, teachers that was recognized again nationally is a teacher named Tina Skookin, who's from St. Hilary School. Uh, she was given the honor for her best-in-class use of a, of a program called iReady, which we'll talk more about. Uh, and her classroom growth and achievement via formal assessments uh, demonstrate classroom innovation and engagement practices for students. So we're thrilled to have with us on the phone uh, Tina Skookin, who is a first-grade teacher at St. Hilary School. Uh, do, you, do we have you, Tina? Yes, you do. Great. Also with her, I believe, is Kathy Donovan, who is the principal of St. Hillary. Kathy, are you there? I 
am. Good morning. Good morning. And here in studio with us is Mr. Hetty Belkawi. Hetty is a member of my staff, our Director of Continuous Improvement, and kind of the point person for this iReady program. So it's great to have you all with us this morning. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Congratulations, Tina. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't we start with you, Hetty? Kind of set the stage for us. Tell us a little bit about what this iReady thing is. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Rigg. iReady is an interactive online program that's designed not only to provide an assessment of student progress, but also an individualized instructional plan for each student. So iReady starts with an adaptive diagnostic test that identifies a student's current academic level and then provides schools with academic resources to support the teaching of the student at their level. We're really excited by this program. We started with a small pilot of about 15 schools, and now we're at 81 schools, and which includes St. Hillary, who've been in the pilot for the last two and years. And this testing happens, Hetty, in first grade? Yeah, it is a K to eight program. Okay. And, but the testing, though, isn't sort of what we typically think of, sort of like pencil, eraser, scantrons and multiple choice tests, it's actually pretty gamified where kids are getting questions at their own level, certain tasks and behaviors with audio. It's all multimedia through a computer. And what do you hope to get from this then? You get a whole wide range of academic data, um, um, ranging from a lexile range in terms of reading to a scale score to actual grade level placements across all the subskills in reading and math. So it's really kind of like a handy toolkit for our teachers that get basically an individualized chart of where students are progressing and actually where to go. Lots of tests don't really provide supports and resources for kids. What iReady provides is actually a map where teachers can actually do sets of activities and students have their own activities. So we're really excited by what this could mean for our student achievement here in the Archdiocese. Well, and as uh, Hetty said, this was uh, the last couple of years we've been piloting it. We often do this with our Catholic schools. There's so many schools. Uh, when we introduce these types of programs, we tend to pilot them. So we have schools voluntarily step forward to participate. Uh, and Kathy, so 15 uh, piloted, and now it's so up to 81. About, yeah, about 81 piloted it this year, wow. including St. Hillary. And, and Kathy, why don't you tell us, why did uh, why did St. Hillary join the pilot, and what types of results have you seen out of iReady? Absolutely. So we joined the pilot the very first year, and the reason that we did so is because we did not have any solid, um, unbiased data for our K-2 through students. We had the three through eight, we had the Aspire testing, but we didn't have anything solid that we can really work on for K to two that would help us to really build those foundational skills before they got to the third grade level with the Aspire test. So I was super excited when they chose iReady. We used it with our title classes, and the reports were very easy to, to read, to look at the data. But the most important part, it was completely individualized to the student. And along with the diagnostic data, we also had the instructional piece. So it wasn't just another test that they were getting. It was instruction that the kids could then use, lessons that they can do at their level. And then we were able to see individual growth and progress. So it wasn't just a blanket across the board, the classroom. We were really honing in on each individual child's needs and also where we could help those that were the higher level continue to grow so that way we could reach every one of the kids in the classroom. And I noticed here, Tina, that you are the recipient of this award. So what did you do in the classroom with iReady that has made you so uh, stand out apart from everybody else? Well, based on the diagnostic results, I kind of took that 
and changed my instruction with my small groupings in both reading and math. I based it on like my own assessments of the children and on the iReady diagnostics. And then I've been able to really implement iReady in my classroom. That's with reading groups every day, math groups multiple times a week. And if we never, because we're supposed to hit 30 to 40 minutes a week. So if I don't, if I'm not able to hit that mark because of schools, you know, there's always something going on. I do take the kids upstairs to the computer lab to continue their lessons. So I really look at the students' needs based on their lessons that they're given in iReady and kind of change my lessons in the classrooms to help support the students. Tina, back to you. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of years since you've been using this, but tell us, you know, what what you thought of this data from iReady when you first started using it and how it has uh, changed the way that you've taught. Um, I love the data that comes from iReady because it shows me, like, where my students are struggling and where I might not catch in the classroom because I'm just one teacher and I have multiple students, so I can't always see where my students are at individually. It really breaks down the students' needs based on where they're scored or based on the success of their lessons that they are working on. So, Tina, give an example in terms, of, in terms of maybe needs. That, uh, so the iReady can help you show maybe one child is slower at reading or comprehending or math. Help me out here. Right. So, for example, for the reading diagnostics, they're, they're broken down into four categories, phonics, phonemic awareness, uh, high-frequency words, and comprehension. So based on the results, it shows you where the students are struggling with or where they're excelling in those specific categories. And same thing with masters. Okay. Yes. So it breaks down all the information, and then from that I'm able to see where I, as a teacher, have to step in and instruct the students. So which means based upon that, you give great individual attention to students. Right. In small groups in the classroom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think what I what I really like about it from a system level perspective is now that we have access to all of these schools' data and really able to help identify appropriate interventions. And the idea that it's not just an assessment that there's this digital instruction supplement where students are actually able to work independently on those areas. So if that kid struggles in sort of comprehension with text, they're going to get a whole wide range of instructional lessons on their own that the kid will log in on and do as part of the 30 minutes. So what we're really excited about is the idea that we're providing an extra resource and not just testing kids. Because so much of the this course is about how we're over-testing. What I like about iReady is it's not just that. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is something we're, we're so excited about. We are going system-wide next year. So um, in the new school year, the one that will start this mm -hmm. fall, all students, kindergarten, first, second grade, will take this in our Catholic grade schools. And then schools can offer. Oh, so this whether, is going to be implemented, Jim, you know, across so, Archdiocese. Yep, so we've been piloting it, as, as we said, the last couple of years. Uh, but we feel uh, good enough about this particular assessment that we, uh, we were going to go system-wide this fall. And so, um, you know, the reason we're talking with uh, these folks from St. Hillary is because Tina Skookin uh, is giving an honor uh, for her best-in-class usage of iReady from Curriculum Associates. Uh, let's go to you, Kathy, because Tina's probably, uh, like most Catholic schools teachers, pretty humble. <laughs> Kathy, why, why do you think Tina's receiving this award? I think she has just taken uh, the whole iReady program, not just the diagnostic but the instruction, and really put it into play into her classroom to really hone on each one of the individual students. You walk in her room and you can just see that 
Um, it, it is a place where children are and where, where they're learning and where they're flourishing, and you can see the success in the kids. Um, so it just she was just an obvious choice to definitely receive this award. And uh, kind of a, a change of topic here, Kathy, but uh, we talked a little earlier. You had a, a, a visitor there th- this morning at the school, didn't you? Uh, we did. Yeah, tell <laughs> us about that. We had a coyote. <laughs> is, he, is he Catholic? Uh, well, we, we didn't get close enough to check, but he was hanging around the church after he was by the school, so uh, we'll see if he comes to Mass this morning. <laughs> now, is, is a coyote sighting? Frequent by your area? Uh, no, it is not. I've been here 16 years, and this is the first one. First one? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, it's a great way to start the Monday. You just never know what's going to happen. Now, what time, what time was the sighting? Like about 5 or 6 or 7 o'clock this morning? Uh, no, this was probably about quarter to 8 when the kids were coming. Oh, so they were all excited, and the kids saw them him too? Oh, they did, and parents, and we and, got the uh, kids in right away. And, and were the kids interested or terrified? Uh, more terrified. <laughs> <laughs> they came in quite quickly and without any problems at all. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Well, safety first always oh, in uh, absolutely. Catholic education. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, this is, uh, it's great to have you all on the phone. There are so many good things happening at St. Hilary. I know this is not the first time that St. Hilary has been recognized. Kathy, tell us a little bit about other things happening at St. Hilary that are of interest. Oh, my goodness. We have a lot going on. We, um, we did have one of our teachers last year who received the Archdiocesan Heart of the School Award, our junior high science teacher, Mr. Andre, who I know Dr. Reg um, is very fond of. Yes, he, yes. He is, uh, really takes science across the board during Catholic Schools Week, during his prep times. He had all of the younger students come up to his room to really excite them about science is fun and do all kinds of science experiments, which they were super excited about. We just brought some donations to the Heinz VA Hospital that we collected as we celebrated nations during Catholic Schools Week, so that was super exciting. Um, we really are a place where we're, we're learning and growing. We say faith, family, and academics, and our family extends well beyond the walls of our school and our church. Congratulations to Tina on all her achievements. For more information about our outstanding Catholic schools, visit schools.artchicago.org. Stick around, because after a short break, we'll hear from our friends at Catholic Charities. Back in a moment. Are you looking for a new employment opportunity where you can use your skills and experience to make a positive impact? Do you want to be part of an organization filled with talented people who are committed every day to an important mission? Then you belong at Catholic Charities. We are proud to be one of the largest nonprofit agencies in the Midwest responding to individual, family, and community needs with compassionate and professional services that restore hope and build better futures. We offer a competitive benefits package, and we are always looking for dedicated individuals to become part of the team. To see our current list of available job opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net and click on the About Us tab. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 a.m., I'm Brian Brock of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV Office with highlights of local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on 7.50 a.m. Catholic Charities always goes the extra mile to help those in need. Warm clothes are a necessity in the winter months. Professional clothes are also very important, especially when you are interviewing for a job. Deborah, can you first give us an overview of Catholic Charities Family Stabilization Services? 
How do people contact us? How do folks get to us? Um, and, w- and what do you do? What kind of requests come in? Okay. So the Family Stabilization Services Department provides assistance to individuals and families whose lives has been uh, disrupted by unplanned events such, such as domestic crisis, fire, unemployment, or relocation, and who for any reason are in, a need, in need of emergency food or closing. We can be reached at 312-655-7700. Again, that number is 312-655-7700. Some of the requests that we get that come in, um, people, clients come in for information and referral to other resources. They might need short-term case management or food. We provide food uh, from our food pantries, and we also have ready-to-eat items for individuals that don't have access to cooking facilities. We also provide clothing, uh, uh, public benefits, screening for SNAP benefits or Medicaid or Medicare. We also provide financial assistance for rent, utilities, or transportation. Wow, you do a ton of things, and I yeah, know you just do. a few. Yeah, just a few. we see this every day. We see you and your team working incredibly, incredibly hard um, to provide those immediate emergency needs to help stabilize a family. So, according to our annual report, you all have helped over sixty thousand people last year, which is an insane number. Sixty thousand people that came to Catholic charities in crisis. Um, so, what what is it that you do exactly when a person comes in? What how do they walk us through that? What happens? So, if a cli- when a client first comes in, they might come in for the basic needs. We do a full intake on that client, and once we do the full intake, we discover it is more than basic needs. Mm -hmm. So we try to fulfill the emergency need, which would be the basic needs, and do referrals for the other uh, sources that that client uh, requests. That's incredible. I think those wraparound services are what we know make Catholic Charities really unique. Um, and, and as we often hear, folks come, the number one reason people come to Catholic Charities is for food. But as you know so well, there's so much more. Can you share with us maybe um, a way that people can get involved with your clothing room, with your food pantry? What are the types of donations and things that you all need? So when it comes to our clothing room, uh, we have a big need for uh, men's jeans, men's shoes, and plus-size women clothing because those are the most requested items. So is there a particular day of the week or section of the week that more people are coming in with requests, or is it a steady stream all week long? It's a steady stream. (laughs) We work Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30, and every day is busy. So what's going on in the city right now lately um, that is contributing to some of these needs for people? Are there more men coming in? Are there more women coming in with families? Like what's the, the main demographic of the people you're seeing lately? We, we get a lot of uh, homeless men yeah. coming in in the downtown area. But however, at our other sites, it's a mixture of all people. Um, I'm sure it's a really gratifying uh, experience for you to work with Family Stabilization Services. Maybe you can tell us uh, what's the best part about your job, what you love about it, and maybe even tell us a story um, recently or you know any time that you want about something that uh, has gone on with a client in Family Stabilization Services. 
Okay, the best part of my job is that um, the work that we do is uh, very, we help in the community. We're doing good work here, and that's what I like about the job. I've been here for 20 years, so it must be something that's keeping me <laughs> you here. You started when you were five. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, one story, um, the client came in. She wasn't eligible for financial assistance. She started crying. Her landlord is going to put her out. She don't know what she's going to do. So um, I had to advocate for her. So I called, contacted her landlord, talked to the landlord. And he was able to put her on the budget plan where she can uh, still stay in the apartment. So that's one thing. That that's amazing. Do. And I think that speaks to the, you know, advocating for our clients. It's not always just giving something, which is, of course, a very important part, but it's that advocacy and that empowering piece which I think leads us beautifully into Toya Baker and Mary's Closet. Toya, can you tell us a little bit about Mary's Closet, when it started, why it started, um, and what was what is the purpose of the program? Okay. So good morning again to everyone. But um, Mary's Closet is actually one of the programs that is under the Family Stabilization uh, Department. And it started back in 2011 with some of our female board members. And um, with that, um, the initiative that they started, which they saw a need for, um, we create. they created Mary's Closet. And Mary's Closet is our um, interview enhancement program and uh, professional attire program. Um, and the program consists of uh, two uh, individual or maybe group consultations because all of our consultations are customized to our clients and to the particular programs that they may come from. And then I'm saying program because Mary's Closet kind of acts as a wraparound program. It's an internal program where um, most of our programs at Catholic Charities um, individuals don't necessarily need a referral for entrance into those programs. But for this particular program, because of its mission and its purpose, um, we uh, require that it is uh, that clients are referred to us from case managers from our other programs. So we always like to say that and to our clients that you've done the work in the other programs that you've been involved with. So we're just kind of here to be your cheerleader and kind of polish you up and get you ready for the workforce. And so um, we deal with clients um, that have um, that have not worked, maybe not held um, any long-term type of employment for a while to individuals who've held um, even some executive positions and for some reason or another they were not a part of the workforce for a while or individuals who are just looking for um, better or improved employment. So how long have you been part of the program, and has it changed a lot in the time that you've been there or over the life of the program in general? It has. So in, I've been with the program since 2016, and since then, when the program, when I initially uh, started working with the program, we were seeing on average about 70 to 80 clients a year, a fiscal year. Okay. We're now um, nearing the 400 mark oh, wow. for clients. <laughs> and so, I mean, just that in itself is just so fulfilling. So what's the range of those clients that you're seeing? Are you seeing mostly men, mostly women, or who? 
Um, probably we're seeing about um, about sixty five percent men, okay. and the the rest are women. Okay. For more information about how you can support the great ministries of Catholic Charities, go to catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Clarissa Algentera, Senior Coordinator of Children's Ministry, hosts Lifelong Journey. She sat down with Todd Williamson and Wendy Silhavy for an in-depth look at liturgy during Lent. We are focusing on, here we are in, in the month of February, and we're kind of gearing up for Lent. Now, we know it's it's still a couple weeks away, but um, I'll have my guests introduce themselves. Uh, how long have you been working in the Department for Parish Vitality and Mission? And I know that you work in liturgy, but uh, let the guests know a little bit more about what you do. Sure. I'm uh, the director for the Office for Divine Worship for 20 years, and so have been in the department since its inception, <laughs> so for yeah. as long as it's been around. Uh, and uh, we are the resource for uh, the parishes and leadership in liturgy and sacraments. Yeah. And Lent is guided by the liturgical life of the church. So it's good to be here. Yeah. And I've been in Chicago for five years. So I've been part of the Department of Parish Vitality and Mission for uh, its whole its whole duration. <laughs> <laughs> and just a little bit before that, um, I came from a background, especially in parish liturgy. So I really enjoy making connections between uh, what we can offer as an archdiocese on an archdiocesan level and uh, what people really need in the parishes to take it home and, and uh, break open the seasons in their, in their own homes. Yeah, to live it. To live it. Yeah. 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 Uh, my context uh, always for Wendy and Todd is whenever there's large liturgies, <laughs> cardinal stuff, uh, let's see. The archdiocesan events. <laughs> archdiocesan liturgies. Uh, if you've not been to any of those larger events, you always like kind of see Todd and Wendy uh, running around in the background, gathering hosts for communion, <laughs> setting up the altar. Moving lectors, that kind of thing. <laughs> Prompting musicians. Yeah, yeah they're kind of like the, the magic behind the scenes and, and their big reason why the good things uh, happen the way they do. And so they're super knowledgeable uh, for all of the, all the things they bring. Um, so we decided that with Lent coming up in a couple weeks, a couple of the things that you, uh, our listeners, are going to be seeing in your parishes are uh, obviously like Lenten opportunities for growth and prayer, but also uh, you're going to start maybe hearing a little bit more about uh, the RCIA journey. And so we invited them on this morning to really talk about what that means for those in the parishes and how can they kind of how can you engage in in that way and in, in kind of a fullness and just kind of get to know the candidates who are at your parish. So tell me a little bit about um, when we're talking. Well, let's start with like Lent. That's kind of a big thing in our parishes. And I know some parish ministers have been planning for Lent for many months now. But what are some of the things that um that Lent gives us an opportunity to kind of jump into a little bit more differently than maybe ordinary time. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, I was just thinking, even <clears throat> even non-practicing Catholics... Oh yeah. Uh, resonate with Lent. Resonate I mean, when there's and ashes with, at the CTA yeah. and... <laughs> but, yeah. but I mean, it's, it, I, Lent is in our DNA as Catholics. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even, like I say, even non-practicing Catholics are aware of it. It's in, it's, it's in the air for them. Um, and and I think Clarissa, you you kind of hit it. It it's a it's a huge season in our parishes, 
I think parishes, I think it's probably one of the most busiest seasons. And I think it's one of those times when we always talk about Christmas and Easter, but I think uh, people who are Catholic who have maybe been, you know, kind of not sure if they want to enter more into Catholic life or not, are really drawn in by Ash Wednesday. We see huge crowds in our churches for the liturgies of Ash Wednesday. And so once they're through the doors, you know, what can we as parish ministers do to to keep them there, to help them understand that this is a place where they really want to be and this is where their heart's going to grow and their spirituality is going to grow and they're going to connect with, with other people in the community that can help them on their life's journey. So that very beginning of our entry into Lent, which is you know, the uh, celebration of Ash Wednesday, is really a time for people to uh, be drawn back into parish life if they've been away for a bit. When we were talking about being drawn back into parish life, uh, one of the things that we also start to see more of, I guess, or at least that you start to hear more of is, you know, uh, if you want to participate in the RCIA journey and what that means for our, for people who are at the parish, you start to see like maybe new people come back in and uh, maybe if they've been away for a while and we're talking about, you know, what does it mean to be an RCI candidate and how, how that can kind of uh, build on their experience of Lent. First of all, for the listeners, RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, it's the process that every parish has. Um, they might not, they might not have anyone in that process yeah. this year. I know of a couple parishes that don't, but that that's the process that somebody who um, wants to be baptized, someone who seeks baptism, is uh, enters into this this process. And then there are, are also those who are are baptized non-Catholics who want to come into the communion of the church. So that's that's what those are the people that we're talking about. And it gets really active in Lent because there's an, uh, the, yeah. the RCIA kind of in parishes where, where there are people in it, 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 it takes center stage during the Lenten period. Um, we might touch on it later on, but the, the, the scrutinies that are celebrated on the third, fourth, and fifth Sunday of Lent that have those wonderful readings from John, the woman at the well, the man born blind, and the raising of Lazarus. Uh, everyone's going to hear those this year, those, those great gospels. And, uh, and the, the, the catechumens are sent down to the uh, cathedral for the rite of election. So they're just real visible in parish life. And I think especially for those people who are maybe coming back into parish life or aren't Catholic but are drawn into the the Catholic Church, you know, around the season of Lent, can see these people as witness and example of what it means to catch on fire with the faith. They'll, um, if they're ready, they'll be uh, received into the church at the Easter Vigil. But for those who are just kind of coming back through the doors, this is a great time for them to see, uh, you know, how do I become a Catholic? What's the next step? And ideally in our parishes, the RCIA is a year-round process. Mm-hmm. So there's people that come through the doors during the season of Lent. Maybe go to Stations of the Cross or a fish fry and, and get to know <laughs> the community. Mm-hmm. They're like, this, there's something here for me. Um, hopefully the RCIA is set up in a parish uh, to the point that they can be drawn into uh, what kind of call it the period of um, inquiry to start to, you know, kind of tussle with some of these ideas. Um, in some parishes, you know, uh, Alpha is provided, and this would be a great chance for people to, you know, find that entry level into a relationship with Jesus and with the community. But at any rate, just the heightened visibility of, we call them the elect after they go through the rite of election, that um, intense period of four, five, six weeks uh, before the Easter vigil, that they're really serving as witness, not just for those who might be kind of on the fringes of Catholic life, but for parishioners and the pews who, you know, their hearts need to be caught on fire again as well, rekindled, and they can be such a wonderful example. I really encourage the listeners to if they haven't yet, to make themselves aware of the elect or the catechumens and the candidates that are in their parish. Because, Wendy, you made a good point. Really, they 
they, yeah, they are a, a witness to us. They're a reminder to us of what it means to be on fire with Christ. But at the same time, we're a witness to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it's a reciprocal relationship. They, they, they teach us what it means to, to want to know Christ, but they learn to be Catholic from us. Yeah. So what does it mean, though? Like if, you know, uh, I don't know if my parish is, has any catechumens, and thank you for the reminder of that word, uh, right now. And if we were to have a catechumen, though, like how would I engage, especially if I'm not a sponsor, like how would I engage in the RCA process if I'm just someone who goes to 9 o'clock Mass and I hear the announcements and then I see them dismissed? And then I stay, and you know, I might say hi to them at the coffee hour. What do you mean, might? You okay, should. I'll, okay, I'll stay. You will. I'll, I'll totally that's stay. That's your role. That's, I know. that's our role. Our, yeah. role. our role is to encourage them, and and not and 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 to to pray for them, and to I mean to actively engage with them, ask them how they're doing, support them, particularly during Lent. That's kind of one of the well, it it, it, it can be one of the more tenuous yeah. periods for them. They're just weeks away right from this this life changing decision and this is a time when um they often get nervous the doubts creep mm. in um th- th- this is the time where they might be um tempted to drop out for many reasons they're not supported in their families uh, because of this decision to know Christ they're not supported at work so you yeah can do an awful lot to bolster them and pray for them and encourage them and talk to them, find out who they are, yeah, find exactly. out what their story this is. This is the time to uh, get to know them story. personally. I think it's important, those of, you know, if, if you are actively involved in parish life, the temptation can be to try to draw them into parish life like, oh, you know what, you'd be a great lector or, sure. you know, I'm really looking for people to lead, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, join the choir. Yeah, join the choir. Catechism classes next year. Um, this isn't the time for recruiting. This is the time just for personal connection. And so, just to say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Um, oh, I notice you've got a two-year-old. I have a two-year-old too. <laughs> God bless you, as you you know learn how to all be in church together. Um, and just you know, I know for Catholics sometimes it's hard to say this, but you know, just to say, I'm I'm going to pray for you, mm-hmm. and I hope you pray yeah, for me. Yeah. Um, just again, make those personal connections. So it's not a recruiting fair, but but it's, it's really about personal connection. Thanks to Clarissa, Todd, and Wendy for their energetic conversation. Stick around. After the break, we'll hear about the important ministries that are aided by the annual Catholic Appeal. And we'll hear from an expert about the importance of keeping records in a parish. Back in a moment. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the Archdiocese. Here's host, Todd Williamson. We'll introduce you to Catholic school students who are helping people in need in their communities. We'll tell you about a history-making agreement that provides several years of security for 30 Catholic schools and their students. And we'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about the importance of everyone being counted in this year's census. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. 
I'm Brian Brock of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV Office with highlights of local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on 7.50 a.m. Holy Name Cathedral Rector Father Greg Sakowitz and his planning and development assistant Mark Teresi co-hosted a program featuring Meg Hall, Director of the Archives and Records Center for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Meg, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, how long have you been with the uh, archives? Ooh, I've been with the archives for over 10 years. How did you get interested? That's kind of a unique area yeah, like to it. be interested. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I went to DePaul University for college, and I was a history student there. Mm-hmm. I went there for four years. And I knew that I wanted to continue to pursue a career in history, but knew I did not want to be a professor. So I was looking at other options like working at a museum or a library or doing research or something like that. And I found out about archives and thought it sounded great. And I went to graduate school for archival administration in Pennsylvania and did my program there for two years. And then a couple years after graduating from there, I had a couple other different jobs and then wound up in the archdiocese. And I've been here ever since. So when you did your undergrad at DePaul Mm -hmm. in history... Then what prompted you to go to Pennsylvania for that particular master's degree? Well, I took a year off in between college and graduate school. I participated in a volunteer program. It was the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is that service program. And I was thinking a lot about what I wanted to do with my future and where I wanted to go. And I was already out of Chicago anyway. I was in Nashville. And just looking at other places that would be interesting, that had an interesting history and would be a good place to study history. And Philadelphia, what could be more American history than that? Historical. And then, so your master's is in in what? It's in American history with a concentration in archival administration. No, that's... I've never heard of it. I know, I know. Mm -hmm. It's becoming a little bit more common now. Now, was Jack Trainer at that time... The, the man in charge? Yes, he was my first boss at the archives at the Archdiocese. Well, he'd been there for years. He had, yes. He'd been um, here since the 80s. Yeah, he Jack's was, a tremendous... Uh, he's an archive. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so are we. What are we <laughs> I know. You know Mark, what, what, are we la- what are we laughing about? <laughs> so when, when people ask you, or what is the most commonly asked question of the work that you do? Oh, people ask a lot how I got into it. Um, and they ask what the oldest thing that we have. At what the is arch- it, by the way? <laughs> mm. We're uh, asking now. Sure, mm. yeah. So the diocese goes back to 1844, but the ch- oldest church in the diocese goes back to the 1830s. Which that's, one is that? That's Old St. Mary's. So okay. Old St. Mary's. The one over on Michigan? Exactly. Yeah. So Old St. Mary's was the first Catholic church in Chicago. It was the de facto cathedral of the city. Um it moved. It used to be right at Cathedral Square. That's where St. Mary's Church was. Mm-hmm. Um, it moved a few times. It moved. No, wait. Um, the original old St. Mary's was located where? The original old St. Well, the original old St. Mary's was at Cathedral Square. Which is so where is that now? That's where the cathedral is on that square. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't so know or that or nearabouts, probably sure, not that sure. exact square, but nearabouts. Okay. Um, and it moved to um, the Van Buren and um, uh, Wabash. I think it was there for a while. It moved in a couple different places. That's one thing that I never really thought about was how old a parish can be even though the church building itself may have changed. Mm-hmm. Now, like, is the second oldest church up in Lake Forest or is it in Lamont? Fremont. Offhand? 
Oh. I'm trying to think number two. I saw a top five list some years ago. It was interesting was number two was on the outskirts like Lamont or Lake Forest I, area. Yeah, I know. Or maybe uh, Fremont. Fremont. I yeah, Fremont. I know like is, Fremont, St. Uh, is it St. James? St. Mary of the Annunciation. St. Mary of the Annunciation The only reason I remember that is because we did, when I was here downtown, we did the sesquicentennial book. Okay. And the last page was the oldest church in in the arch was and the picture was of St. Mary's in Fremont. An old church building, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have when, you, when you think about it, to have that church built, let's say, in the 1840s, talk about the boondocks. Right. Yes. I consider that to be far yeah. out today. Yeah. But in those days, to get a parish up in the Fremont area around Mundelein, Lake Forest, Lamont, that's really away from the hub of Chicago in those days. Yeah, and it was look, all farming communities. And look at where Mundelein put the seminary. And when Cardinal Mundelein acquired that property, in fact, just a little sidebar. Yeah. Our listeners, since I spent four wonderful years at Mundelein Seminary, ordained in 79, great years, was how did Cardinal Mundelein, do you know offhand, Meg, how he acquired that property at Mundelein? I think it dealt, I think it dealt with... Um, it was a school. It was Ed- Edward school. Hines. Edward Hines Lumber Company. He... he he lost his son in World War One. Mm-hmm. He was so distraught, Cardinal Mundelein approached him and promised to build a seminary. But also, I think the remains of his son are on the grounds of the seminary near the lake. And the, They moved him. They, they moved him. Oh. oh, they moved him. But, but Mr. Hines was so distraught, having lost his son in right. France in World War One. And uh, well, getting back to this, this archival material is... You spend every day researching parishes or making sure the books are proper? So at the archives where I work, we have the records for closed parishes and closed schools. Are you on Monroe? Yes, yeah, we okay. are on Monroe. Okay. We're right around the corner from Old St. Pat's. Oh, sure. So which means every parish that is closed in the history, all their records are kept with you. With us, Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So if a parish is still open, they're in charge of keeping their own archives, their Correct. own records. <laughs> so what we have at the archives is the closed parishes, closed schools. We also have the historical records of the administration. So we have all of Cardinal Mundelein's papers at the archives. Do you we really? Have, yes, we all do. All his papers? Yeah. Well, wow. probably not all of them, but as many as could be found when the archives was collecting material. Now, doesn't Mundelein Seminary have... Cardinal Mundelein material they in that do library. Have, they do have it. Cardinal Mundelein material. We have his diocesan work. Right. So anything that um, pertains to the diocese itself, not necessarily everything that pertains to the university. Okay. Or their own, they have their own archives. So no. their founding material, their historical material is, at, is no, with them. Is so what kinds of records? You know, so you, people in parishes are listening, probably some people who are you know, either secretaries or support people or priests, what kind of records do they need uh, to make sure they keep are keeping in good stead? Yeah, so the most important records that any parish has is their sacramental registers. Um, they should be maintained from the beginning of the parish to present day, and they have to be maintained in their original register format. Parishes are not allowed to keep them as a database. You can use a database as a supplement to the registers, but it's interesting that even in this 2020, those records— They want the book. They want the book, yeah. The records have to be maintained originally in a register. And to let our uh, listeners know, we're talking baptismal. Marriage. We're talking marriage. We're talking First Communion. 
Um, confirmation. Confirmation. Oh, yeah, definitely confirmation. Confirmation, yeah. And, and also, you know, interesting, this is what people don't know, and that is the place you are baptized, that's where all your records are kept moving forward. So when I was baptized at Holy Trinity, when I made my confirmation at Mary Seat of Wisdom, mm-hmm. that record was sent back from Mary Seat of Wisdom back to Holy Trinity in oh, Chicago. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that. So that everything is kept in the place of baptism. Am I, am I right? You're correct, right? yes. So if you're baptized in one church, confirmed in another, married in another, the church where you were confirmed has their own confirmation register where they record your confirmation, and they also send a note to your parish of baptism. And the same with the wedding. And the same with the marriage as well. Father Greg and Mark also had a group of guests who gave us an in-depth look at the important ministries funded by the annual Catholic Appeal. What's happening this weekend? This weekend is Commitment Weekend, and this is the time when the pastor will um, uh, stand up and in, in tell everyone about the annual appeal and give them, they'll, they'll receive their in-pew envelopes that they can make pledges on, and he will also play the Cardinal's recorded homily. homily. And um, so we're, we're hoping for a good turnout on this. The, you know, I was thinking about this this morning as I was driving in. Over these 24 years, I have never ceased to be amazed by the generosity of the people of Chicago. They so take care of each other. Well, last year we raised $15 million, and this is the great Catholics of Chicago taking care of each other. That's a lot of money. That's it much. certainly is. And then Brendan, as the chief operating officer, what is your role in this whole appeal? So I oversee the Stewardship and Development Office at the Archdiocese, which includes, of course, the annual Catholic Appeal, as well as a wide variety of other fundraising initiatives. Um, And so one thing that I love about the appeal is, uh, Barbara was kind of mentioning it, the appeal is a way for us to really do something together as a community across the Archdiocese. So, of course, funds raised through the appeal will help uh, the donor's local parish, but it also does so much good to help support low-income parishes and schools across the diocese, as well as very important ministries that help serve the people uh, in Cook and Lake County, as well as through the work of Catholic Relief Services, people around the world who are suffering from natural disasters. And I make it very clear when I get up there this weekend, all the masses, this is not just another second collection. Rather, it's a pledge. So we're asking to dig deeper. And so people have been very generous for all the collections throughout the years. But this is the annual Catholic appeal, and it's also an opportunity to think beyond the boundaries of the parish to the wider church in Chicago. And um, and maybe before we go to break for just a moment, maybe can someone share with us some the money raised goes where? So the money raised goes directly to low-income parishes and schools throughout the archdiocese. It goes to ministries um, at, through the Meyer Center that serve people across the region. Uh, the Catholic Relief Services, and then a portion of it goes to support uh, initiatives at everyone's local parishes. Okay. Elizabeth, <laughs> you're a parishioner at Our Lady of the Wayside, and you've been involved with the appeal. And I understand, I haven't been here, but you come in at, during this show and talk about your stewardship. So wh- why the appeal? Why are you involved? Well, you know, um, I know we talk about this every year with Father Greg, but... Um, Tithing is really very important to me, and but as as a donor, as a giver, uh, it's also very important for me to know where the money is being spent. You know, I mean, you only have so much money, and mm-hmm. as you know, donors, I think are more and more concerned about that. Oh, you yeah. know, about 
how how you know the organizations are making good use of the money that they do receive, and in this one in particular. Um, the distribution is so transparent, and it's also very varied. And so, as a uh, as a donor, we get a lot of solicitations, you know, for giving. But in this one gift, all of the funds are distributed in a way of where there is the most need. And so, it's sort of like a one stop shop, you know, mm-hmm. when you're giving to this particular um, appeal. Which one of the needs appeals to you most? Uh, well, like for example, uh, like for all the all of the disasters that happen, like around the world, for like Catholic relief mm-hmm. services, that that is like a huge one for me. Um, also, the uh, the education, the schools, mm-hmm. and you know the re- um, the priest education, as so you, you know, you, is very important. See, to with me. you, Elizabeth, a couple of things. Number one is you certainly are going beyond the boundaries of your home parish in Arlington Heights. And number two, the first time you shared that story eight or nine years ago here, 10 years ago, and you said you tithe, I remember my comeback was, I'm assuming you were not raised Catholic. And that's correct, yes. Mm Because Catholics don't talk about tithing. It's not in our vocabulary. (laughs) It's not in our vocabulary. And so you came from another faith community and a convert Mm -hmm. to Catholicism, but continued the tithing. And I thought it was very interesting, your, your mentality there, but you're certainly reaching beyond the limits of your own faith community to the wider community, even the worldwide community. And the other thing about Elizabeth, you can talk about a little bit, but you're, you're a professional. I mean, you look at things in terms of church from the eyes of not only a steward, but a professional. And, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's an important thing for people to understand, that you ask a lot of the hard questions. Well, and I think what's important, too, is that the the greatest thing about this is the money that goes back into your parish itself, and mm-hmm. so the rebate. Yeah, the rebate, which I think is huge. In fact, uh, I was talking to Barbara uh, during the break, and that is the whole collection of the appeal started back in 1991. But for the first some years, it was not under the present format. So when I was the pastor at St. Mary of the Woods in Edgebrook, I got a call. Maybe it was from Barbara or someone in the office. Would I be part of a pilot of a new way of doing the annual Catholic appeal that dealt with the in-pew solicitation with pencils? I said, you got to be kidding. I said, this is an absolute failure. I said, I'll do it because you're asking me. But I said, man, and this is me getting up there and get your pencils out and let's fill this out <clears throat> you know, line by line. And I was really a naysayer and thought, this is not going to work. I was so proven wrong we had actually doubled the amount from the previous year. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, if I had bet on it, <clears throat> me, I certainly would have lost the bet. And we raised big money. We not only made our goal, but big money beyond it to get a rebate for the parish at St. Mary of the Woods. So, Barbara, I can tell you and tell Brendan and Elizabeth and our listeners, it does work. But it needs the backing and the support of the pastor to get up there. But I was such a doubter with this new system mm-hmm. But it, it is tremendous. And I get up there this weekend, and I make a little huge little jokes about it because that's who I am. You have to get the pencils, but, but it works. And people do respond, including visitors. We hope the jokes don't turn them off. <laughs> <laughs> Lower, lowers, the, lowers the collection. And maybe we go to break real quick, uh, Brendan. Two points you want to make regarding, we're going to save after the break, but bring it in now. 
So two things I wanted to talk about um, is a way for donors to make a gift that they will still receive a nice tax benefit um, with the updates in the tax law, as well as some updates that we've made to our online giving system for the annual Catholic Appeal. What was the second one? Updates to the online giving system for the annual Catholic Appeal. And what are those? So the first is... um, so now that with updates in the, in the tax law, uh, donors can make still make a gift from their IRA or make a gift of stock, uh, and they will receive a really nice tax benefit from that if they're no longer itemizing their deductions. Check out that entire program by going to radiotv.artchicago.org. That's where you can hear all our local Catholic radio programs live or at your convenience. And our Catholic Chicago Week in Review program, the program you're listening to right now, is available on all your favorite mobile streaming apps. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning here on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. I'm Brian Brock for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.